But here's the better, the better definition would probably, it usually has the sexual connotations. Throw that up on the screen. An overmastering sexual desire. I mean, at first I was going to say intense, an intense sexual desire, but just having sexual, like, looking forward to sex is not necessarily wrong until it becomes overpowering, overmastering. It becomes everything. So um, Josh Harris, in this book, he gives, he, gives, um, he's, he gives this definition to lust. He says, it's craving sexually what God has forbidden. Craving sexually what God has forbidden. That's a good definition. Here's a little more from Harris. Josh Harris writes this. He writes, to lust is to want what you don't have and weren't meant to have. So lust goes beyond attraction. Lust goes beyond an appreciation of beauty. Lust goes even beyond a healthy desire for sex. So we're not talking about a healthy desire. We're talking about, I want that so badly. Not just sex, but maybe the, the pleasure, the whatever it is, lustful thoughts. So lust says sexual desire it's ultimate. It's God. I, all I, that's the greatest thing in the world is sex. sex. Sex says sexual desire leads to satisfaction. In fact, maybe write this down if you can, if you can write quick. The great lie of lust is that the greatest satisfaction is li- in life is found in the pursuit of sexual pleasure and romantic encounters. It's the greatest satisfaction in life, but that's a lot. That's the great lie of lust. The greatest satisfaction in life is found in the pursuit. Notice the word pursuit of sexual pleasure and romantic encounters. I'm going to come back to that, like that kind of pursuit piece. So again, I'm going to take a step back. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. And so here's some clarification: God made us sexual creatures. He's given us a sexuality. He's created us with this incredible thing called a sex drive. And these things, they're really a part of our identities, and they are very, very good. No but. They're good. They're great in the right context. God made us that way, and he wasn't like, I totally screwed up with the sex thing. We've just abused it. We've distorted it big time. So I want you to see, though, it's critical to understand that your sex drive is not the same as lust. And so, for example, here's a few things. It's not lust to be attracted to someone or to notice that someone is good-looking. That's not lust, at least not yet, not at that point. It's not lust to anticipate and be excited about having sex within marriage. It's not lust. It's not lust when a man or a woman is turned on without any conscious decision to do so. That happens sometimes. Am I right? It's not lust to experience sexual temptation at a, at a point. When you start experiencing sexual temptation, there's a point where you say, I'm going to go with this or I'm, I'm done. But just to experience sexual temptation, know that that's not lust. We're made to want somebody else in, in that way. That's not bad. The key issue in each of these examples is how we respond to it. How do we respond to these urges and desires we have in our sex drive. So noticing that an attractive person, um, noticing someone that walks in the room that they're attractive, that's, that's not wrong. But suddenly when you start undressing that person with your mind, now it's lustful. Now you've gone beyond that. Now it's too far. So, so that's kind of that. I also want you guys to realize throughout this series that lust is really about worship. It's totally about what you want. That you have this Overmastering desire, as I've already said, 
It's about what you're after. When you lust, it's always because you guys, and you know this, this isn't news, it's always because you want something very, very badly. Maybe you didn't two minutes ago, suddenly your sex drive, your wiring is going, and you, a pleasure, a, a, a certain pleasure or feeling, a person, an image. And so we need to see that when that happens, it's not just, I like this, we start worshiping that. And what I'm saying is that becomes more ultimate than God a lot of times. We've talked about that so much at Oasis. We turn good things into God things. And that's where the problem comes. Paul David Tripp, um, he's a professional counselor. He's written a number of books. And uh, I have one of his books. He writes this. And this is under a section in one of his books I have entitled, Sex is a Key Way a Person Expresses Worship. He says, sex is a key way a person expresses worship. But he writes this. He says, we need to see life as worship. We are either living in covenant with God, hoping in his promises, obeying his commands, relying on his grace and desiring his glory, or we are living in an idle covenant where some part of creation has replaced the creator, and we live for personal pleasure and the glory of self. So what's Tripp saying? He's saying, like, what do you worship the most? Do you really want God, or do you want a whole slew of other things in this world, some of them maybe being a guy, a person of feeling sexual things more than God? Do you worship the Creator, or do you really want some part of the creation even more? Now, again, I want to pause here. We're going to turn a little corner, and I want to acknowledge something. I want to, you may be like, okay, fine, fine. Brad, you throw all this information about lust at me. I get it. I get it. I get it's about worship. But I want to acknowledge with you, I just turned 30, but I, I, I feel like it was just yesterday. I was in high school and college. The battle that you and I experience, this battle against lustful thoughts, lustful feelings, romantic fantasies, it's hard. And you all know that. And I want us to acknowledge that. This is not an easy thing. I wish, I mean, in our culture, I wish it was as simple as saying, I'm going to stop lusting. Today's Ash Wednesday. For some of you, maybe you're Catholic, you do the Ash Wednesday thing and you're preparing for Lent. Um, I think a lot of high school students, at least when I was in high school, kind of misunderstood what the whole giving thing up, giving something up was really all about. But wouldn't it be nice if you could just say, you know what, I'm giving up for Lent? Lust. It's just gone. I just decided not to. It's like, it's like giving up pop. I gave up, I gave up lust. But it's, it's not that easy. And we all know that. There's, it's kind of this, it has to do with our wiring and who we are. Plus, our struggles with lust, for a lot of us, come in a lot of different forms. So for some of you, primarily girls, the issue is romantic fantasies. I've mentioned that before. It's, it's kind of this emotional. You want to be wanted. You want this romantic relationship. You like to watch that on TV. It's, it's romantic fantasies. For some of you, it's internet pornography and masturbation. And that's a big one. I'm, more and more you guys are reading gobs and gobs of books that say that's not primarily just a guy issue, it's becoming a girl issue, and it's rampant. Pornography and masturbation. For some of you, it's the temptation and the ongoing habit to get sexually involved or to be sexually involved with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And I, I know that for some of you in here, it's not just a temptation, it's the ongoing habit. And I'm again, it's not easy. You, I mean, let's just acknowledge that. It's very, very hard. But so, since we're talking about this at church, after all, I, I want to pose this question. I need to ask this question, and that's, 
we're going to go in the Scriptures tonight. What is God's standard when it comes to lust? What is God's standard when it comes to lust? How much lust does God want us to allow in our lives? So grab your Bibles, grab your Bible apps. So many of you have smartphones. Pull out your your Bible app, um, open your Bible. I love it when you guys bring your Bibles, by the way. I know we have some here, but I hope you have your own Bible and you use it and you crack it open regularly. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, New Testament book of Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, you went too far. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, this is a letter, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians who lived in Ephesus, so it's just a letter. They are already Christians. He's not telling them to do these things to, to like be better moral people, to try to get God to love them more. If they get that at this point. If you're a Christian here tonight, you should get that too. So he's saying, as a Christian, this is how you should live. Why would you want to live any other way? So Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Paul writes, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must be only a little bit of sexual immorality and of impurity, because in little doses it's not that bad, but with a lot it's improper for God's holy people. Isn't that nice that Paul like, understands our culture? You know, like, just a little bit of chocolate, it won't, I don't know, it's not that bad. <sighs> Let's just pray and be dismissed. Oh, did, did he not say that? Maybe, uh, okay, oh, he, he writes this, but among you, I'm, I'm an idiot, there must be not even a hint, how did I miss it, not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. For these are improper for God's holy people. Okay, so not even a hint, huh? Like zero, zip, nothing. Not even a hint, which I know some of you go like, okay, like I wouldn't expect anything different from God. I knew you were going to say that. Find some verse, Brad, the skeptical maybe of you out there. But some of you are just like, yeah, but are you kidding the Bible's so old-fashioned, and God's rules are so old-fashioned. This is the 21st century. Some of the stuff in the Bible, first century, they just didn't understand yet. Like, seriously, I love my boyfriend. We're going to do what we want. Maybe you're thinking that. Look, I, and I know how countercultural this sounds. To gobs of people in our world, they would just say, especially in the sexual area, unreasonable, impossible, can't happen. But here's the thing, God does not say this throughout the Bible. I don't, it's, he's not trying to be heavy-handed. He's not trying to come down hard on you. It's like power up over you. I'm God. Here's my rules. Have fun with that. That's going to really stink. He's not trying to be strict just for the sake of strictness, okay? It's because he loves us and we are his. He created us after all. We tend to forget that all the time, but we are not God. He is. We're his creation. He owns us and he knows what's best for us. He says this, I think, because he's infinitely wise and his wisdom way exceeds our understanding. So it is very, very hard, but there's a lot of it that maybe we should just go, I'm just going to trust God on this one and I'm going to keep battling against this. I think God knew 
you guys, that this would be a struggle for us as teenagers, as high school students. From what I know, a guy he reaches his like peak sexually, whatever that means, at like 18, which is like great in our culture. You don't get married until you're at least probably 21, 22. That's awesome for us guys. Seniors in here are just like, what could, anyway, it's hard. We got to get to the point. I think God says, though, this is possible, you guys, as a high school student. You know what? It's possible. But you got to stop trusting in your own power and you got to surrender to me. And you got to say, God, you got to come to the point where you give up what you want and say, God, I want what you want, not what I want. But I got to go back to this passage because I know some of those things, some of the things I just said, they just don't do it for some of you in here. Like, I don't care what Brad says. I don't, I don't care what the Bible says. I like this person. I have feelings for this person. Um, again, God says, not even a hint of sexual immorality or impurity. So here's another question. Maybe this is more, like, relevant. Why is God's standard so high? Like, have you ever thought this before? I mean, I, I honestly have. So, so why didn't God, like, why didn't he tone down the sex drive just a little bit? Why, why are his standards so high if he knew, like, he gave us these desires, knew how strong they were, and gave them to us anyway? Isn't that kind of unfair, God? Like, what's up? What's the answer to this? I, I would see, I'm going to give you two main reasons that I see throughout Scripture for why God calls us, uh, calls us to cleanse our lives completely of lust. But the first one is this. I've already touched on it. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. That doesn't matter for some of us. It should. The very first of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever realized that all the other of the Ten Commandments really come back to the first commandment, which says you should have no other gods before me? God says, I am eternally faithful to you. I'm committed to you. I don't cheat on you. I'm asking you to do the same for me, that you, even that's what marriage is. The reason I shouldn't cheat on my, it's not just don't commit adultery. God says, I want marriage to be a picture of my love for the church for Christians. So it's idolatry, but we've already kind of covered that. We've been there. Second thing is this. This is huge. Lust is never satisfied. Lust is never satisfied. And this is so healthy for us to remember. We need to often. So let me explain this. Even though lust longs for an object or a person, ultimately, have you realized this before? Ultimately, that object or that person is not the goal of lust. It's not its prize. You know why? Because lust's prize, its goal, is the very act of desiring. The root, the epitome of lust is that over-desire. And so the result, and you all know this, the result is that lust is never quenched. As soon as, this is just crazy, as soon as you get what you are longing for, as soon as you sleep with your boyfriend who you're so long, like, as soon as it's, you have it, lust wants something else. It's on to the next thing. That was good, but now it's over, and on to the next thing. Lust always wants something more. So write this down. Here's kind of the main point of the night. It's very, very simple. It's not rocket science. Lust is a thirst that cannot be quenched. Lust is a thirst that cannot be quenched. Desires are good, but when they become everything, it never gets satisfied. In Ephesians 4.19, if you still have your Bibles open and you're not taking notes, and that's fine, look over back at chapter 4, verse 19. Paul here 
um, he talks about this endless cycle of lust. And in chapter 4 here, he's commenting on um, a certain group of people who have turned away from God. They kind of want nothing to do with God. And he just writes this. He says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, get this, with a continual lust for more. You know what the payoff of lust is? And guys, don't think I haven't been there. I mean, I've been, a, been, a, I've been an 18-year-old guy. I've been through college. You know what the payoff of lust is? A continual lust for more. And a continual lust for more. And a continual lust for more. I remember being at Grace and a guy bringing me his internet cord, going, Brad, hide this. I never want to see it. He goes, this is hilarious. He goes, I almost cut it off. I'm sick of this thing. Not the cord, something else. He goes, I almost cut it off. But I figured, I want to have kids someday. It never's quenched. He brought me his internet cord and said, I can't handle this anymore. We're going to get to this in week three. You've got to deal drastically with sin, especially pornography on the internet. It's everywhere. Half of you in here have a cell phone in your pocket that gets full internet access. Blows my mind why your parents let you do that again. Not my, not my job, not my responsibility. But that's, that's temptation knocking on your door. You know why you hate your battle with lust, some of you? It's because it, it never ultimately satisfies and it never pays off. You always get done and you go, dang it, that happened again. I'm an idiot. But then you want it again. You will never be able to view enough pornography to quench your lust. You'll never be able to sleep with enough people to quench your lust. You'll never be able to Dream about enough romantic fantasies to quench your lust. You can gorge yourself on lust, but you're always going to be hungry. Guys, this like, yeah, this still spoke to me as this last couple of weeks as I was kind of studying up on this stuff. God says, God says not even a hint, because you can't give in, you cannot give in to lust demands and have it fulfill you. That's why. God knows. God knows it's just this never-ending awful cycle, and then you're never fulfilled, and he wants to spare us from that. It will become your idol. It will become the God that you worship, and many of you in here, you know that. I found when I was back in the day in high school, I I felt so isolated. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. This buddy of mine in college finally said to me, Brad, I may look like a good person, but I struggle with pornography and masturbation, and I was like, are you kidding me? I've never, it was like the guy on the video, no one talks about it. Lust is a thirst that could never be quenched. I want to tell you a little story. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who you've maybe seen at least the movies of the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis has written a number of books, but he wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And uh, he tells this sort of fantasy-like story about this ghost of a man who's afflicted by lust. And lust for him takes the form, I I mean, C.S. Lewis is a phenomenal writer, but lust takes the form of this little red lizard that sits on his shoulder and whispers seductively in his ear, his, like, lustful thoughts or whatever. And eventually the man, like, despairs of this lizard, and somehow an angel comes along, and this angel offers to kill it for him. Uh, But here's the thing. The man gets torn between loving his lust and wanting it to die. And he starts to fear that if he lets this angel kill the lizard, um, that it will also kill him, that he will like, I mean, he's so ensnared. He's, 
you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, you get so entrenched with, like, if I, I want to give this up, but I kind of like it, which is where this man is at with the lizard. So he starts making excuse after, the, after excuse to the angel on why he shouldn't kill the lizard. Um, and finally the man agrees, and he lets the angel kill it. And so the angel, like, grabs a reptile and crushes it and throws it on the ground. And to the man's dismay, this, this like, spell is broken, as C.S. Lewis writes. And the ghostly man is remade into a new, solid human being. He's not this ghostly man anymore. He becomes a whole new man. And the lizard, rather than being destroyed, turns into this breathtaking stallion. What a crazy story, right? So like I said, it's kind of fantasy. But the lizard turns into the stallion, and the man, as he weeps tears of gratitude and joy, gets on the stallion and, like, flies off into the heavens. I'm serious, though. It's in there. Toward the end of the book, I read it today. The Great Divorce. What C.S. Lewis is trying to do, he's trying to show the connection between killing our lust and finding life, finding true life. And so often, at least I can speak for the guys, there is that kind of love-hate, I hate this thing, but it's so much a part of you. Do I really want to get rid of it? And it keeps coming back, and it keeps coming back. Girls, I don't know exactly what it's like for you. You continually want to be pursued. You want some guy to come, like, whisk you off your feet and carry you away and live happily ever after. But it never happens. Or the, not, the guy's never quite as good as you want him to be. Eventually, though, we find that like getting, destroying our lustful desires, it's not the end of desire. It just gives us pure desires and God-centered desires. And we can actually have righteous thoughts and we can feel free and we can, we can live the kind of life that God wants us to live. Lust, I've said this already, is a distortion of what love and sex were meant to be. So, I'm running out of time. What do we do about this? I've got a couple things. What's the solution to lust? And we're going to talk about this in much greater detail in the next two weeks. For tonight, um, two things. And you can maybe jot these down if you're taking notes. First, we need to realize and admit that we can't do this on our own strength, on our own power. Your willpower doesn't work. Okay? Again, you know this, but it's just good to say that. We need to realize and admit, I can't do this on my own strength. How do we know? Because we fail time and time again. Secondly, we need to realize and admit that sexual purity is something only God can bring us. Only God can bring us that. If you still have your Bibles open, I love Ephesians 5.2, right before that verse on not even a hint. Paul writes, live a life of love. How? He says, live a life of love, not lust. Live a life of love. How? Because Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Look at that. God gave himself up for you. He died for you. He loves you that much. He took your death penalty for you, and we kind of spit in his face and say, eh, forget your rules. I really want really want to look at that girl. Only God can bring about purity in our lives. Only the power of the cross can break the power of lust and sin in our lives. I'm going to read real quick this one last quote and then uh, a few final thoughts. Pastor John Piper, he just kind of recently retired. He's written so many books, but he was a, pa- he was a pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He writes, the fire of lust's pleasure must be fought with the fire of God's pleasures. And I think 
Piper's so right on about this. He says, if we try to fight the fire of lust with threats alone, we will fail. James is going to talk more about this next week. That we've got to come up with contracts and like, if I do this again, I'm going to let someone punch me in the face. I'm going to make, like, not eat for a day. Piper says, you will not fight lust by threats alone. We will fail. We must fight it with the massive promise of superior happiness. Now, what does he mean by that? He's saying, you know what? If you really experience this, there's so much more freedom. There's so much more fulfillment in just a life with God and enjoying a relationship with God and obeying God and not being some like religious nut guru, but like just loving Jesus and delighting in him and spending time with him. He says, there's so much greater happiness there. You got to pursue that. So three final thoughts. How do you apply this practically? And I hope as I'm kind of saying, as we're talking, you're thinking through maybe some things even that you need to do or that you can do. But three, three things, and I'll be quick. First of all, evaluate yourself. Evaluate yourself. How much are you giving into lust? Where are you at with this? Do you enjoy like little, maybe if it's not a lot, but where are you, where are you finding like little hints of lust that you, so, I don't know, certain websites, YouTube even, it's not quite all that bad, but you kind of go looking for it late at night? You watch cable TV late at night? Are you buried in it? Some of you in here, you desperately have to tell somebody because it's like, it's beyond, I mean, you don't even know, but you're like, this is getting really bad. I feel like I'm addicted to this stuff. It's, I'm buried in it. But evaluate where you're at. You need to evaluate yourself. Are you riddled with shame and guilt? That's real. We all feel that stuff when we go through this. But so secondly, so first evaluate yourself. Secondly, cry out to God. Cry out to God. And don't skip this step. You guys, maybe tonight when you get home sometime, maybe you just need to find a quiet place. You could need to get alone with God and just cry out to God. Before you do anything else, before you talk to somebody else, you need to go to God and just say, God, help me. You know all this stuff already, God. You know where I'm at in this battle. Help me. I'm tired of pride. I'm tired of masturbation. I'm tired of these romantic fantasies. I just sit and daydream all day about this guy. God, help me. He wants to hear that. He doesn't care that you screwed up. He cares that you're, he cares that you're not coming back to him, so come back to him. And then finally, cry out to a trusted friend, a trusted friend. Don't cry out to that friend that'll gossip this to everyone around you. You know who your trusted friends are. Find somebody, ask them to hold you accountable. That doesn't always work like perfectly, but you need to be asked. It's just regularly saying, how you doing with this? How you doing with this? Have you looked today? Have you lusted today? Where are you at? You don't need to carry this alone in confession and accountability is awesome. I felt like 10,000 bricks were lifted off my chest when that friend confessed to me in college because I could share my experience with him too. Lust was never meant to satisfy. And you know what? God has something so much greater for us if we would go there and if we would just depend on and trust in him. I'm telling you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for myself. God, I thank you for this word. God, there's so much in the Bible that speaks to this. God, you have given us this great gift of our sexuality. 
God, I'm reminded in this study that sex isn't even inherently selfish, but we make it that. God, in its purest form, the way you created it to be, sex is supposed to represent your self-giving. Just like you gave yourself to us, God, that we someday, in a covenant of marriage, get to give ourselves freely and fully to somebody else. But God, we distort that. We make sex a consumer good. We make sex a like, I always feel like I'm on audition with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and I'm just going to do this until... Gosh, I hope he doesn't want an upgrade. Gosh, I hope he doesn't find some other girl that's more attractive. God, I, I pray that someday we would have great relationships. That the men and the women in this room, that we would find a man or a woman and we would commit our lives to them. And it's not always easy. And it's not always, um, it's just not always awesome. But God, it's, sometimes it's really, really awesome. And sex and marriage is so awesome and you give it to us as a gift. God, help us with this struggle. God, I pray that we would go from here tonight God, we know where we're at with this topic right now. God, I pray that we would cry out to you, that we would cry out to a trusted friend. And God, throughout this series, we would find freedom that only you can give. God, we need you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you wash away shame and guilt and impurity. God, you can wash away the images in our mind like you wash away the sand on the seashore 10,000 times. God, you can do that, and we trust you for it. Thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.